very still stainless worship our God together. Uh, this is a song we decided to do a couple weeks ago, so you can sing out with us.
Good morning. Before I forget, we always have the steady flow of uh, people at the service that continue to come in during worship. If everyone can shift towards the middle of your aisle and keep your eyes open for, for people coming in so we make sure we have enough room for them to sit down. As we uh, enter into the time of confession this morning in our worship service, um, the confession of sin, you know, is, is key as a Christian. Um, what I want to read to you this morning is from the 90th Psalm. This is uh, simply a confession of God and who He is. So we bow your head. Psalm 95, verses 3 through 5. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and in His hands formed the dry land. Father, thank You for creating all that is around us. And as we take time to look at all that is around us, the universe and the stars, just in everyday things, Lord. We stand very humble to know that you created us as well. That even when we fell away from you, you loved us still. We thank you for sending your son to Jesus Christ. We reconcile us to you. And we confess this morning, Lord, that you and you alone are God. And that you hold us all in the palm of your hand. Pray all these things this morning in Jesus' name.
may your love break through to our lives. Lord, remind us of it this morning. God, we pray you will grant us the strength to worship you only. God, when you are desired to love you well in obedience, God, help us to hear your word now to put it into action. God, we thank you for your love. Help us to respond in thankfulness. And to be your people. To your name I pray. Amen.
Think about in your moments of stress, in your moments of pain, in your moments of difficulty, think about what are those things that you run to? How do you medicate yourself in those times? How do you try to change your environment in those moments? What people do you go to? What habits do you go to? What thoughts do you run to? Those are your practical saviors, right? Those are your places of safety. Those are your fortresses. Those are the things that you go to to save you, to take care of you in your times of need. Well, just like we struggle with that, the people back in the first century struggle with that. And the author is encouraging them, you know what? We've got a better savior. We've got a savior that you can rely on every time that savior is Jesus. And that's what week after week we're going to unpack. He's a better voice, a better hero, a better sacrifice, a better temple, a better religion, a better priest. Everything about him, he is more, he is better, he is greater. We're going to see that being repeated again and again. So we're going to introduce it here with the first few verses. Um, it starts off really strong, different from a lot of New Testament letters. It's written more like a letter, like, hey, what's up? I'm Paul, I'm writing this letter. This one just, he just charges out of the gate, telling us about Jesus and how great he is. So read with me in verse 1, I'll read verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nation, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, the more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen to your voice that we would run to you as our place of safety, as our hope, as our better safety. Pray that you share the body word that we would be changed, we may be made more like your son, that we would trust in him. Pray to Jesus. Amen. Well, nine years ago, yesterday, a plane hit the World Trade Center. Many of us probably saw the things on the news yesterday memorializing that. Nine years ago, uh, we had a uh, seven-day-old or nine-day-old infant that we were taking care of. Our third child had just been born. I was at seminary. I was walking to class, and there was a TV in a student lounge between my apartment and my classroom where we saw the news unfolding. And I didn't make it to my class that day because I stopped to watch the news and back. But on that day, a plane hit the uh, Tower 1 of the World Trade Center. And people in Tower 2 could hear it. They could feel the shock of the explosion. And a man named Stanley Crane that was in the 81st floor of Tower 2. And he saw fireballs outside his building falling from Tower 1. So he and any others thought they should evacuate. And they began to go downstairs. And the security guard, though, told them, you know what? The safest place for you to be is in this building. It's a secure structure. It's steel. We don't want people panicking and running out of the street. We don't want debris falling on, on people. Um, we don't know all the reasons they explained, but basically we know that they thought they could be saved if they stayed in Tower 2. But Stanley made his way back up to the top, back up to the 81st floor. And when he got to his office and he began to make a phone call, he saw an airplane coming right out of the building that I love. There was now another airplane approaching Tower 2. And that plane came right into his floor, came right into his office with a terrible explosion. He dove under his desk, he screamed, rubble, and things blew up all over the place. Now, nobody blames the security guards because what, what they did was the best as they could with the information they had at the time, right? All, all they could do was, was do what, what common sense told them, that yes, there was a fire, there was an explosion, we don't know what's happening in Tower 1, but last time the uh, World Trade Center had been evacuated, people got hurt just in the evacuation, just in all those people trying to get out, 
So we wanted people to say, say it's there. So they tried to get people to say, say it's there. They didn't want falling debris, falling, falling from one explosion on people outside. They didn't want people falling over each other as they got out. So they believed that they could be saved if they stayed there in Tower 2. But Stanley Franklin, this executive of the Food Bank, he, he needed a better safety than me. And I think a lot of times that happens to us. A lot of times we, we make the best decision we can with the information at the time. And we trust in what we think will keep us secure. We trust in what we think will, will save us. What will practically take care of us, take care of our needs, take care of our pain, take care of whatever it is in the situation. And as I said already, the author of Hebrews is saying again and again that Jesus is a better Savior. He is the only one that can really take care of us. He is the only one that can truly save us. That can ultimately save us. That can ultimately keep us safe. That can be our, our strong power, our refuge, our place of safety when difficult times come. So the author is going to tell the Hebrews, I said, again and again, even if it starts here, he's going to repeat the theme again and again, that your place of safety is Jesus. That the thing you need to run to is Jesus. When difficult times come, when you see fireballs, when you, you see chaos, you run to Jesus. You trust in Him in a moment. Only there will you safe. Well, the first thing that, that, he, that he emphasizes here is all the competing voices that we hear, right? So in a, in a time of difficulty, we hear competing voices. That was one of the problems during 9-11 is, is the 911 uh, phone people couldn't keep up with all the voices, right? And so they couldn't give proper advice because they didn't know the whole situation. And they were overwhelmed with so many phone calls. It was just utter chaos. And there are these competing voices vying for our attention. And what the author tells us is listen to me one voice. There's one voice you've got to pay attention to. And that's the voice of the Son. Yes, there's a million other voices you listen to. Make sure you listen to the voice of the Son. He is a, a better voice. He says in verses 1 and 2, Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he's not denying the previous revelation. He's not denying these previous voices. He's saying the Old Testament, it, it, it fits with the New Testament. It's the history of God speaking to us, right? We have a God that speaks to us. And that is good. And there's agreement. But he's saying now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. These last days, when, when the fireballs are falling, when everything's crazy, we, we live in this time right between the times. We live in this time between the coming of the son and the second coming of the Son to make all things right. And it's a difficult time. It's a time where we're tempted to not trust in this salvation that's been accomplished. We're, we're tempted to not trust in that and apply that in our own life. But, but the voice we need to listen to is the Son who says, I've, I've taken care of you. I took your sin upon myself and I'm freely giving you my perfect righteousness. I can be your place of safety. Trust in me even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of, of the chaos and the things falling apart all around you. I will come back. I will make all things right. That's what he's telling us. And if you trust in him in these last days, in this time between the times, when, between Christmas and the end of all things, when all things are made right, when everything's made perfect, when there's no more sin, there's no more pain, no more crying, that's the day that we live in. These last days, and we are to listen to the voice of the Son. What are the competing voices? What are the things that distract you from listening to the Son? I, I was thinking about an illustration of this, how I get distracted sometimes from doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? My, some of my principal jobs here at the church are, are to, to study the scriptures, read them, and prepare to, to teach you and to encourage you with the scriptures. Now, one of my other jobs is to counsel people. One of my other jobs is to encourage the leaders of the church to meet new people and help them find ways to get involved in the church, help them grow in their faith. Now, the telephone doesn't always help me accomplish those tasks. I have a telephone that looks just like this, it sits on my desk. And, and that telephone can distract me, right? Because I may be studying and the telephone's ringing and ringing and ringing, so I have to stop and, and pick it up and, hey, may I help you? And, no, we don't want to buy that, and we don't want to buy this, and we don't want to place that ad. You know, and it's, it's these distractions, these things that come in all the time through our telephone. So I was really excited the other day because the phone repairman was here uh, digging a new line for us, 
And I said, can you program my phone so it doesn't ring? He's like, sure, I can do that for you. So, so now I have this piece, this hum in my, my office back there. The phone rings other places, and we have other, like, other people. Thank you for those of you that come in and volunteer to talk to the salesman for us. You come in and you, you answer the phones for us, you answer people's questions, and you take care of those things for us so that I can focus and, and not be distracted. And I just want to ask you, what are the things that distract you? Not just in everyday life, and I'm not just talking about a telephone. This is just a picture of, of that concept of being distracted, being pulled off by the, the tyranny of the urgent pull off what you're really supposed to be about. But, but what are the things in your life that pull you away from the voice of Jesus? What, what are the distractions for you that, that make it difficult for you to hear His voice? But what are the other competing voices that say, trust me, pay attention to me, listen to me. If you do this, you'll be taken care of. If you do this, you'll be taken care of. What are those voices in, in your life? What are those things that are mine for your attention? There's this, this magical thing we talk about called the quiet time. Have you ever heard about the quiet time? There's this thing in Christian subculture I like to tease about it. Because there's like certain things that if you've been a Christian a long time, you know, there's like keywords, code words for Christians. One of them is the quiet time. If you want to really impress people, talk about, yeah, I had a really good quiet time this morning. Um, even if you don't know what it means, you know, it'll just impress people, right? But, but there's some really good, there's some good stuff in, in that practice, in that kind of tradition of, of Christianity, of having time to be quiet, not to be absolutely silent, right? This is not Buddhist meditation where you clear your mind completely. This is where you clear your mind just so you can hear the voice of Jesus. It's quiet so you can hear from Him. It's quiet so you can meditate on His Word. It's a quiet time so that you can talk to Him, hear from Him, and pay attention to His voice. And it really is a great practice, and I really would recommend it. I like to make fun of it because what happens is sometimes, you know, we, we get caught up in the externals of it, and we think we're impressing people, and we've got to do these cultural things Christians are supposed to do. But, but the important thing is that we're hearing Jesus' voice. That's the point. Who cares about the cultural trappings, right? Who cares what time you do? Who cares how long you do? Who cares what form you use? But are you listening to the voice of the Son? Are you hearing the voice of Jesus? Is there a time in your life where you're hearing You need to make time for that. You need to make sure you're paying attention and you're listening to what he has to say to you. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers and prophets. By the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Then the next thing that, that the author shows us is that he is a better power. He's going to unpack now what this means. His son. What, what does that mean? The son of God. Who is he? What is his status? What is his nature? He, he's a better savior because he has a better power. So it's his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God and he's acting from his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He, he holds it all together right now. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think, think of what power means, right? Any of you ever, ever use one of these? I'm going to picture a bow saw. Anybody ever use a bow saw? Now, if you're using a bow saw, you are cutting a tree limb by the strength of your power, right? Which can be very painful. I've had tendonitis in my elbow for about nine months now. And, you know, after like an hour of working on a limb, my arm gets pretty sore, right? I can barely move. I'm kind of like dragging it around after that. But... Oh, yeah. There's a glorious power to the chainsaw. Right? Anybody ever used a chainsaw? Yeah. Some friends saw me at lunch and they're like, hey, I heard you were using a chainsaw. Like, what? My wife was Facebook. Yeah, she was proud of me seeing me out there with a chainsaw. It impressed her. She respected me and the power that I was wielding. But, but there's something glorious about that power, right? It's, it's impressive. It's amazing. It's a power beyond yourself. Well, and this is just, I mean, this is just a drop, right? This doesn't even begin to explain the power that Jesus has as our, as our better Savior. He has a better power, not just the difference between the, the hand saw and the chainsaw, but this is an incredible power. This is the power of God himself, right? That they're ascribing things in theology here to Jesus that is mind-blowing, that is that's insane. He is 
He shares the power of God Himself. He is one with God. Right? We have this doctrine of the Trinity. This helpful summary. The Trinity is not a word that's in the Bible. Some people complain about that. But it's this word that just summarizes the truth that we see in the Bible. That we have one God that we worship in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's one God, one what, and three who's. That's a helpful way to kind of keep it straight in your mind. It doesn't necessarily unpack all the mysteries of it, but that just kind of helps us keep it straight. That's like a peg to hang that information on. One what, three who's. One God. Scripture is always clear there's one God, but we understand Him to be uh, revealed to us in, in three persons. Three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the author of Hebrews is making it clear to us here that He is, he is one with God. That the Son shares in the power of God and Himself. So he's the heir of all things. The heir of all things means he possesses, he has inherited, he has authority over what? Yes, everything. I couldn't hear anything said. But all things. I'm just going to assume you got right. All things. He, he, he's the heir of all things. He's inherited this authority over, over everything. We see this again and again in other texts. As, as well. The throne is his, his by right of being creator with God. Because he is the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Jesus was the creator there with God. He's not a created thing, but he is creator. So that, that's why we differ from other cults who say, no, he's, he's kind of related to God, but he's this created thing. He's just the first, most important created thing. No, he, he is the creator. He is he is one with God Himself. He is God. It's right for us to, to worship Him. John 1 makes it clear. I'm going to throw out just different texts. You might want to write some of these down, but we can't unpack every single one of them because it will take us a few hours to get through all these. But John 1 is another parallel passage that's very important for you to read. In, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And it says, He was in the beginning of God, and all things were made through Him. Without Him, it was not anything made that was made. He's trying to make it real clear, right? So you don't miss that. He made everything. And nothing that was made was made without being made by Him who made everything that was made. Okay? You catch that? He made all things. It says in Colossians 1.15 that He's the image of the invisible God. That he's the firstborn over all creation, which throws people to perspective. No, he was born, he was created. No, the firstborn is he was the chief. He was the protagonist. He was the first guy. He was, he was number one. He's by right of being creator with God. He has possession, inheritance over all things. And just in case you are confused by that, Colossians 1, they go on then to explain. For by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, physical and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is God. He is God. The Son is God. Now this word radiance is a really cool word. It's a Greek word, apagazon, which means the, the energy radiating out from life. So radiance is a good translation in the ESV. I think it may be the same in the as well. He is the radiance of the glory of God. So you've got, right, the glory of God, you've got the source, you've got God himself, and Jesus is the energy coming out. He's, you know, like we, the sun burns me, and, and that's the sun that does that, right? I don't say, well, the energy and the power, that's something completely separated, and I can put that in a box separate from the sun, right? No, no, it's, it's one thing. He is the energy radiating out from God himself. The radiance of the glory of God. Every time you see that phrase, the glory of God, in the Old Testament, it's this visible representation of God. In the Old Testament, they saw God, they really were just seeing a hint of God, right? They saw whatever could be packed into some kind of physical form, and that's what Jesus is. He goes on to say what this form was like, the exact imprint of his nature. This word, exact imprint, this is the word character. It's a Greek word, character. Not like translated, it's read in Greek, you say character, which means literally a die, right? It's, it's pressed in. The, the, the exact image, the, the exact character, the exact representation, he is the same. Anybody ever stamped anything? Got any stampers out here? Yeah, you stamp and you have the original and it, it's the exact copy, right? He's that same as God. He is one with God 
himself the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Just in case you're confused about this, he holds everything together. He holds it all together. You are breathing right now because he is giving you breath. Now that doesn't mean we don't believe in science. That doesn't mean we, we don't believe that things happen and that we can understand time and nature and protons and neutrons. It just means he holds it all together. He, he holds it all together. He really is God. He, he holds it all together by the word of his power. If you have an opinion, you can write down some other interesting verses to look up about, about the divinity of Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty-seven is a good one to write down. Talking about all things being given to him by the Father. Matthew 28, the same thing, all authority has been given to me, and then he tells us to tell people to baptize in the name of not just the Father, but in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because they are one. And it says there in Matthew 28, the great commission section, that there at the end, that people worship him. And this is confusing, right? Because sometimes people would just bow down to a king. But if ever a messenger of God had someone bowing down to them, they would say, no, 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 I am not the king. I am not God. And you see that again and again. There's a couple of key texts where you see that in Revelation 19 and in Acts chapter 10. In Revelation 19, John begins to bow down to an angel. And the angel says, do not bow down to me. I am not the king. I'm just a messenger. And you see the same thing with Peter. Peter brings the message of the gospel to someone in Acts chapter 10. And they begin to bow down to Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I am just a man. I'm just a messenger. I am not God. But people bow down to Jesus and he accepts the worship is right, and it is good, because he is God. There's other verses you can look up in John 5, a great section again, that just reiterates his divinity, that he has the power over life and death, that he shares with the Father. I told you earlier that Colossians 1 is a parallel passage of very similar things to what we have in Hebrews chapter 1. And what's interesting is you see in Colossians 1 that he holds everything together, that he is the one that's got power over all things. And then the rest of the Colossians, you could see then, you could read the rest of the Colossians as then an application. You know, so you're probably thinking, great, so Jesus is God, what does that mean to me? Well, first of all, it means that he's more powerful than any other Savior you might run to. And Colossians then gives very specific applications of how you might be pulled astray. In Colossians 2, 6, it says, Therefore, because of who Jesus is, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So first of all, walk every day just as if he's God. Just as you receive him as the answer to your problems, continue to walk in him as if he's the answer to your problems. Don't say, I had this moment in time once when I was six, and I walked an aisle, and I saw Jesus as being the answer to all my problems. But now I'm kind of on my own, and I've kind of got to take care of myself. That's how most of us as Christians live, right? We think that the gospel is some, some first point, and then you have to move on in life by your own strength. When again and again the scriptures say, no, you, you walk through that door by confessing Christ and seeing Him as the answer to your sin and the answer to your problems. And then every step you take, you're, you're stepping out knowing that He is the one that holds the universe together. Knowing that He is the, the powerful one. Knowing that He is the one who, who is your Lord. So to be rooted and built up in Him and established in faith, trusting in Him, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, thanking Him. In verse 8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of the world, the other false gods of the world, right? Don't listen to human tradition that says, If you do this, it'll be okay. If you follow these steps, it'll be okay. If you just find that right spouse, all your problems will go away. If you just get that right job, all your problems will go away. If you can just get the right medicine, if you can just find the right high, You'll be okay. Those are the traditions of men. Those are the, the voices and the speaking of those elemental spirits of this world. In Colossians it says, don't be, don't be pulled astray by those voices, but recognize the power of Jesus. It says, for in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You've been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. If, if He is God, if He has a better power than anything else that you can turn to, then live as if that's true. Live as if he really is the answer to your problems. Stop running back to those other solutions. Uh, let, me, let me just make a little plug for a program we have. Some of you are caught in the cycle. 
And, and for some of us, we, we run to those things, we repent, and the next week we do better. For some of you, you are, you're caught in cycle. You keep running back to those false gods. You keep running back to those old habits. And I really want to encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery. I think Celebrate Recovery would be helpful for anybody, but it's, it's especially designed to help those that are stuck. They just kind of keep falling back to those old habits. I encourage you to check it out. We have it here Monday nights at 6. It's designed to help you work through and get past going back to those old voices, going back to those old powers, those traditions and those elemental spirits of the world. But the, but the application for all of us is that we would listen to Jesus, that we would turn to him, that we would see him as the power in our life. But the last thing that we see in this uh, section is really cool. It shows us that he's a better hero. He's a different kind of hero than any other hero we may have known before. And this is how he's different. Verse 3 says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Colossians 1, that parallel passage, makes it real clear that he is creator, and so he has these rights as God because of creation, but he's also redeemer. So he deserves to be praised because he's creator. He's made all things. He's God. But he also deserves to be praised because he's a redeemer. And this is what sets him apart from every other hero. And this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion, right? Because every other religion has this, this either one or the other, right? Either God is this righteous and alien and holy, and you better get your stuff together. Or he's imminent, he's here with us, he's in everything, he's close by. He doesn't really care about sin, do whatever you want, follow your own heart. Those are the two extremes that we get. We get this extreme of holiness, we get this extreme of grace, but only in Christianity are these two bonded together in Jesus, who's not only the creator, he is the holy one, the glory of God, but many purifications are our sins. He, he left that glory and came down and gave himself, he sacrificed himself, he gave his life for you to make purifications for your sins, not for his sins, for your sins, for my sins. He died for us. So that by faith you can trust that your sins have been placed on him on the cross. By faith you can trust that God gives you freely the righteousness of Christ. And he sees you as his child. He adopts you. This is how it's different from every other hero. Recently there's been this kind of resurgence of Greek mythology. I've seen like the Percy Jackson stuff and Clash of Titans, right? There's been these, these stories again, these reminders of how people in the first century saw heroes. Right? Heroes were people that were half God and half human. They would be called demigods. You got people like Hercules and Achilles and Perseus or Percy, Percy Jackson stories. Right? They're half God and they're half man. But, but he's a different kind of hero. He is fully God and fully man. He became man and he sacrificed himself for us. A, a big difference in the heroes that we know is the heroes we know. Are, are so powerful. They don't, they don't have to sacrifice the same way that Jesus did, right? They, they just save us based on power. But Jesus saves us based on his sacrifice. One of my favorite heroes is Superman. Anybody ever heard of Superman? I think most people in our culture are familiar with him, right? And so you've got this story, kind of like the Greek gods, kind of like he came down from this special place, right? He came down from this other planet and he has these special powers and he uses his special powers to help us. In the picture I've got there, you see the bullets bouncing off of Superman's chest. And that's a key difference between Superman and Jesus. Superman saves us by being invincible and unstoppable. The bullets bounce off of him. Jesus saves us by taking the bullets for us. Jesus died for us. He wasn't unstoppable, but he, but he laid aside that power. He's a better hero. And then not only is he the creator of the universe, not only does he uphold the universe by the word of his power, but he was willing to stop holding himself together and be taken apart through you. He was willing to disintegrate through you. He was willing to be broken through you. So I know it may not help you at one level to hear that he holds everything together because right now you may be thinking, well, no, he's not holding me together because... My life is disintegrating. My life is falling apart. It doesn't really seem like he's holding me together right now. 
And I just want to encourage you with something we'll see later on in Hebrews that says we don't have a high priest that can sympathize with us, but we, want, we have one that can sympathize with us because he's been tempted every way that we have. He, he's disintegrated. He's been broken. He's been killed. He's been tortured. And no matter what you have gone through, I do not be able to relate to you. Your friend may not be able to understand it, but Jesus understands. He's been there. He's gone through it. And he did it on purpose. He chose to do that. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He chose to be broken. He chose to be one part for you. To give himself. To take our place. One of my favorite verses that shows this tension of how God is both holy and also the one who is going to, by grace, be torn apart for us is Romans 3 26. It's a great verse that he's both just and the justifier. Of the one who has faith in Jesus. Both of these things are held together in our faith and in Christianity and who Jesus is. Not only is he God of all things, not only is he holy, not only is he other, is he perfect and righteous, he was willing to die and be broken. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place, our, our substitute. Some of you are struggling right now with. With different forms, different strains of, of what can be summarized as the health and wealth gospel. I don't know if you're familiar with the health and wealth gospel, but basically it's, it's good news that if you love Jesus, you'll be healthy. If you love Jesus, you'll be wealthy. And maybe if you're not healthy and wealthy, you need to follow through these steps. Maybe you need to love him more by giving more money to the church. Right? Or maybe you need to follow him better by, by uh, praying more. Maybe you just need to stir up more faith within you. Maybe you need to take these five steps to, to higher spirituality. And you may be frustrated because you're saying, I've listened to these voices and I've done the right things and I've lived this kind of life and my life is still broken. And I just want to encourage you that if you believe that God really is in control of all things, if you really believe that He's a better hero that was willing to be broken for you, then that'll give you a power to be able to endure the brokenness of this world. Knowing that he suffered as, as you are suffering. Knowing that he gave himself for you and enable, will enable you to cling to him by faith. Will enable you to continue to trust. Will enable you to continue to look forward to that day when all things will be made right. Because that is the future promise. If you look forward to the day of perfection. When you look forward to the day when you're not sick anymore, when you're not in pain anymore, when no relationships are broken anymore. But you can cling to him now knowing that you have a better hero. Jesus, a hero who is willing to die for you. A hero who is willing to give yourself, give himself for you. And that makes him a better savior. Some of you may already know the, the story of Stanley uh, Rainman. He uh, saw the plane coming at the age of his floor. He'd been told, not only the building, you're safe in the building. And then the next thing he sees when he gets back to the floor is a second airplane crashing into his building. And pretty much killed everybody on his floor. There were fireballs everywhere, just rubble everywhere. He said everything was falling, all the walls broke down, everything was torn to pieces. And there was a flaming wing stuck in the door of his office on fire because he was hiding under his desk, trying to figure out what to do next. Somehow he saw a flashlight shining somewhere near the on the walls. You know, everything's kind of confused because it was such chaos. But he saw a flashlight, or he heard voices above, and uh, Someone came along to help him out. This guy Brian Clark had been arguing with some folks about whether they should go down or go up. A bunch of people told him on the stairwell, no, we can't go down because there's, there's a problem down there, so you have to go back up and just wait for people to save us. Well, a bunch of those people went back up, and Brian heard the screams of Stanley praying that he went to help Stanley. And he found Stanley, and somehow he pulled him over a wall and got him out and got him down the stairs. And, and they survived that day. Stanley had found a better Savior, even though what originally he thought would save him turned out not to be true. He found someone that did save him. And they've continued a friendship to this day. And a lot of you may be thinking, where is that Savior for me, right? Well, I want to encourage you that, that Stanley knew what I hope you know, that he has a better Savior still. He doesn't see Brian as his ultimate Savior. Brian's just a guy that helped him get out of that building that day. Just a guy that God sent for him that day. 
we don't understand God's reason. We don't understand why some people die and some people live. We trust that God has a purpose in all things. But I want to encourage you that Stanley knows that he has a better Savior. Stanley knows that God has a purpose for him and that Jesus gave himself for Stanley. And that Stanley better live the rest of his life living out that purpose. Stanley should live the rest of his life as a living sacrifice, giving him those remaining days he has now, knowing that his days are numbered. Many of you have had a, a near-death experience. And people say that that changes you. I know when I've faced death in different situations and car accidents, that that changes you. And you, you start to forget after a while. But for a while, that changes you and you, you think, I want to live my life for the purpose. And that's the message here of Hebrews. That in these last days, we should listen to the voice of the Son. That we should live our life for Him. Following Him, seeing Him as our Savior, not running back to our other Saviors, to our other solutions, but seeing Him as the answer to all our problems. Father, we thank You that You gave Yourself for us in the life of Your Son, Jesus. We're going to understand all the profound theology of who You are and how all these things work out together. But we know that you give us a better Savior. Father, help us to listen. Help us to follow the reign of Jesus.